You're listening to the Geek Saga Podcast. This episode features audio from a discussion panel that was recorded at DragonCon 2023. This is the Shadow and Bone Season 2 panel. I'm going to introduce myself and then the panels will introduce themselves. I'll ask a couple questions to kind of get the conversation started, but if anybody wants to ask a question, if you can get to the mics, we prefer that you use them because then everybody will hear you. I know there's not a ton of people in the room right now, but it just makes it much easier for people to hear you or talk very, very loudly if you're not going to go to a mic, please. Project from your diaphragm. <laughs> so my name is Tara. You can find me on the web at a Geek Saga. I am a podcaster, author, and event planner and Sagas and Sass, my genre lit podcast that I'm actually on with Nami, the Grishaverse was the first series that we covered what seems like a billion years ago now. It was actually a billion years ago. <laughs> We're just like really old and invented podcasting as well. <laughs> Hi, I'm Nami. Uh, I go by Nami Sparrow on almost all of the interwebs. I'm a cosplayer. I am definitely other things that my brain apparently decided do not exist right now. Uh, we do a podcast together about uh, geek literature and it's called Sagas and Cast Sass and it's awesome except I've been MIA for a while because I'm very sleepy. And I also do uh, DEI and inclusivity work for both fandom and for historical costuming stuff and yeah. Hi everybody. It's nice to meet you. <laughs> uh, Kevin A. Davis, uh, modern contemporary fantasy, modern day magic. Three series, Angel Song, Kimmer Chronicles, and I'm starting up. Um, most of this happens in the Southeast United States, modern times, magic going on. And now I have DRC files, which will be a paranormal procedural with a little bit of a horror bend to it, which is actually there located here in Atlanta. If I was a little less busy, I'd go do some scoping of sites, but we're going to stay here. Just uh, out of curiosity, because the YA Lit Track, I believe, technically has the books. How many in here have not read the Grishaverse books? Okay, so we do have a few. I usually tend to be okay remembering, but this is more for the audience members. If you're asking questions, just please keep in mind that there are a few people here who have only watched the show, and technically we don't have the books on this track. So we're going to stick as much show only as possible. There's some things where I think you have to be like, it was different from the book, but you can do that without spoiling right. yeah. anything entirely, okay? Mm -hmm. So just keep that in mind. Be kind to your fellow uh, panel yeah. people here. Also, out of curiosity, because I know that I tend to be like this, but most people aren't, for people who have watched season two but have not read the books, do you care about spoilers from the books that were covered in season two? If so, please raise your hand, and we will be very careful to not address those as well. But if you don't care about that, we will be a little more detailed in our comparison from book to show yeah. with the books that were covered only. So we won't, you know, talk about like, you know, King of Scars and stuff like that, because that would be really, really mean of us. <laughs> so raise your hand if that's a deal breaker. Speak now or forever, hold your peace. Too late, ha. Spoilers. Spoilers. <laughs> I guess we'll start for the panelists. Compared to season one, how were your overall feelings about season two? Name a couple things you maybe liked better or didn't like quite as much if you have those. I'd say that my area that I didn't enjoy as much is when we're dealing with um, the darker arc. So in the beginning, I have a bright kind of optimistic <laughs> view on a lot of things with some darkness here. Right now, I have, you know, Alina and Mal up against more internal darkness than I really wanted to even though that is true to the books. 
So for me, when I was coming to this next side, I was like, I just wanted a little more. I know that we got darker in Mal's arc and we didn't even touch some of the stuff that was going on. But now I didn't really want to see it on screen because I wanted a little more relief. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I think that actually highlights on one of the things that I liked the most about what they did. By condensing the last two books in the series, they really ended up shortening the abuse cycle that you see in the Darkling and Alina's relationship on screen. And don't get me wrong, it was a deeply personal thing that was written in those books, but it's also a very, very long saga of you seeing Alina in this very abusive relationship and her trying to come to terms with breaking out of it and her making that break eventually. And by shortening that story arc as much as they did and pushing it all together, first of all, they give Alina the agency of having her get out of that relationship almost immediately. And, you know, this piling on the agency of her initiating things in season one, it just felt a lot better. And like, you know, these books were written in 2012, so it fit more with like the cultural, is the word zeitgeist, zeitgeist? Zeitgeist, yeah. The cultural, that word, <laughs> right now, which was, you know, having a female character with that agency and not wanting to show abuse on screen in that way. So that I thought was a really good change because we saw the darkness in that relationship and how badly it could have gone. So like you got the hit of what could have happened if she had stayed and what happened in the books, but you don't get it on screen, which I think was a huge relief because I know that I, for one, have not reread the last two books of the Shadow and Bone trilogy because, you know, it's it gets very dark in that relationship and it's a hard thing to read. It's a hard thing to watch on TV. So I think it was really good for the series that they shortened that because I think it kept a lot more viewers engaged in a way that would have otherwise made a fantasy series and you know fantasy is an escape for most people and I think it would have made the series a little bit too dark for the people who got involved in season one and enjoyed season one and that's a good explanation of why like our mind is the romance between with Mal because mm -hmm. we're going through the regular romance of you know we have a thing mm -hmm. but there's this other guy no we don't have okay. a thing okay I've accepted that we've moved past that thing and, and now we're back well you don't get that because you're not you know when you go go to the um, prince you no longer end up with that same mm -hmm. back and forth now yeah so Mal just sort of sees we have a little highlight in the beginning mm -hmm. and then it just goes dark and stays dark and doesn't have the rhythm up and down yeah but you're right if we had done that we would have had to include all mm -hmm. the pieces with the Darkling, which I, would have made it bad. Yeah, I think in a way, we sort of really sacrificed Mal as a character this season in the process of giving Alina more agency and story, which I think was great. But also at the same time, I had this moment where I was like, if we are viewing this as Mal is like the female love interest, Mal still passes the Beshel te <laughs> test, which I think was good. Yeah. But, you know, I, I had a moment where I, um, so I'm going to be honest, I hated Mal in the books. I thought he was... A pretty crappy dude who was like, hello, it's me, a hypocrite. I could get my wet, but you can't. Uh, yep. yep. And, you know, I genuinely love Mal now because of how Archie portrays him. And I think, though, the way, the, the parts of Mal that we do get in the show are a lot kinder to his character, yeah. despite his arc overall being mm -hmm. darker for him. Because I think for him, the really, the big change was that, first of all, he kind of loses Alina through all of this. But in the process of losing her, he has this moment where he realizes that he does need to find himself. And I really, really, really love that for him. Because in the books, like, Mal starts off as kind of the worst. And he continues to be kind of the worst. But he stays kind of the worst while Alina's also, and like, I you kind of start to feel bad for him by the end because he's just standing there and he's like, hello, it's me, I'm forever loyal. <laughs> he, like, he is not Knuff. 
but yeah, no, of course. Yeah. What I found was interesting was you were talking about the Alina and breaking away from the evil and, and empowerment. And the very last scene, she's got this evil going on in her head. She's got this smirk. She's going to do something. I mean, she's going to go there. I'm very excited for that, but I do I want to touch on that a little bit later. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, because I have a. Cl- but I, I thought that was. Oh weird. no! It was I'm a great like, choice. I not not seeing that coming at all. I'm like, what is she? Yeah. No, I thought that's fantastic, doing? but I have so much for you. Don't <laughs> I mean, don't you worry. But I didn't expect that. That is, and that's I, what I loved. That's yeah. also like the, they gave us a cliffhanger at the end of season one, but we kind of knew already, I think halfway through the weekend, the first weekend that season one was on Netflix, we knew that they had renewed it. Mm-hmm. So like getting a cliffhanger at the end of season one was like, okay, I'm good with this because I know this is coming back out. in, you know, six years or however long it takes them to make a <laughs> eight episode season <laughs> these days. But this time around, we get that cliffhanger with Elena having that sort of like look on her face after she's just used the cut and it was shadow magic, not light magic, using that for the first time in this, in this capacity. And we get that cliffhanger we don't know yet if there's gonna be like I know that they said there probably wouldn't be a shadow and bone season three but there was still talk of like more six yeah, of crows yeah it's looking stuff like there's and... going to be a six of crows spinoff and then everything's going to be through that but again I think the best thing about that cliffhanger is the fact that it kind of really came at a great time for us to be great allies to the film industry and specifically the creators within it because like the reason this season was so good despite not following the exact book is because the writers clearly cared about the material Yes. And I think... And they intermeshed. Exactly. And like the fantastic thing was that you could tell that these writers had paid attention to the source material and cared enough to do justice with it despite doing their own things. And, you know, that became really, really um, obvious in their, like, side quests that they take to, with the other saints. Shuhan. Shuhan and the other saints. And the fantastic thing about that is, like, you can tell that they read Lives of Saints because that woman is a saint from Lives of Saints. She's, like, the legendary saint who she used that sword to, like, destroy a Mecca army, like, 400 years ago. And, like, it was really fantastic. And, like, I'm obviously a Zoya fan. And I love the fact that, like, she has that moment with Zoya where she's like being immortal and like having this like long lifespan doesn't mean you can't form attachments and like all of that and like sort of like the the darklings immortality and like his shitty way of doing things isn't the only way to do things but like you know that's the kind of storyline that you wouldn't have gotten if these writers didn't pay attention and care read through all the way and actually felt it because when i first heard i'm like where am i seeing the crows i shouldn't see the crows at this stage Mm -hmm. right but when i got all the way through i'm like this is perfect Mm -hmm. okay because otherwise i would have been left out of a a ton of material that would have tied nicely to peace now what are we going to do about zoya for me, one of what parts I love is where we go with Zoya. Mm-hmm. My wife hasn't read the book, so as I'm going along, I'm like, look how they're putting Zoya in here. Mm-hmm. Not as powerful as I would have maybe put her. Okay, well, but nonetheless persistently there, mm-hmm. which tells me that they're going to follow true to the course. Exactly. And, you know, so this is not a spoiler. Um, the last duology that Lee has written focuses, like, our main POVs in that are Zoya, Nikolai, and Nina. So the fact that they're making it clear that Zoya is also a main character at this point, you know, again, they they want to write more of this, which is exciting to see. Beautiful character. 
yes, no, I'm obsessed with Zoya, can't you tell? Yeah, and, and going back to, obviously there was a lot of, ooh, is it gonna work in the fandom when it was announced that the Crows were going to be in season one? But I don't know about y'all, but they're honestly the best part of the show, particularly Jesper, okay? Like, I will die on a hill for that boy. Whenever I saw it, I'm like, what the? What? And then I had a discussion with some other people. I'm like, yeah, really? Fits. Yeah. I also had the pleasure of meeting Kit Young, and he is like that in person. He is genuinely a sweetheart. We had like this opportunity to do like a group meet and greet there. And he like got up to the front of the room, and all the chairs are like in panel form. And he goes, I feel like a teacher. This is weird. And I scream from the back. I'm like, what if we did circle time? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, circle time. Let's go. And then I ended up sitting directly across from him. I was like making eye talk the whole time. And I'm just like, Hi. <laughs> also, it's really funny because Europeans are like way more quieter. And I'm like, hello, it's me, the loud American. I'm the only person in this room talking. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I liked all the changes they did with the crows and weaving them in and the plot and everything. But my one problem is how they did the character of Wylan. Because in the books, I mean, a big part of it that I liked for me was seeing Wylan's growth. Mm. throughout the thing and now it's like he appears and he and Jesper have already been together and he's like already doing stuff in the city and stuff. I hope that we're going to get a lot more character development for the crows mm -hmm. in Six of Crows 1. Right. So you know on that note as well like I felt like there was a lot of character development and like story for Inej that we haven't got. For those of you who have read Six of Crows there is the one chapter The Climb and I I am so excited for that to get adapted. I cannot wait to see how they do that. I wish I had a chance to talk to Amita about it because I was I was gonna ask her, I was gonna be like, how do you want to adapt the climb? Like, what are your thoughts? And again, I'm not gonna say anything about it, but if you guys haven't read Six of Crows, please read it. That chapter, like, chills. That's the book that got me back into reading. It is fantastic. But they're definitely gonna do something because exactly. they, brought up, they brought up the non-reading. Mm -hmm. Okay, so and we I, know that go we're going there. They already know about it and everything, yeah. whereas in the book, it's... I don't know that Wyland's character development and journey and struggle with his inadequacy due to being dyslexic is not going to be present because we already know about it. I think in a way it's a storytelling device for people who have not read the books and are watching the shows to know that this is going on because then seeing his struggles with inadequacy, which I hope we'll get later, are going to make more sense and have like a, oh, he's not just insecure type story. And again, this is me hoping, obviously, I don't know, but I, I'm kind of hedging my bets because like I said, we've only really gotten a little bit of character development for the Crows and it's really just like been like the cash show with like everybody being the personality, which is fine for now because it's not Six of Crows yet. Right. I'm gonna say, fingers crossed that just because they changed up the order of things and just because they had Violet and Jesper already getting down and dirty doesn't mean that we're not going to get the Wyland arc and the Wyland character development that we did enjoy from the books because I think intrinsically his struggle is still there yeah. whether or not we know about mm -hmm. it. And I think us knowing about it is the storytelling device that's going to make that story hit a lot harder for more people. Because, you know... They haven't introduced his father yet either. Yeah, and they don't have to play it exactly the same way the books mm -hmm. did. They can play it off a little bit still carry all the components. Mm -hmm. So the father could end up being a huge segment that yeah. we don't even know about because the potential is there. Yeah, again, I think the will they, won't they with Jesper is, I think they still have a lot of capacity for misunderstandings because they're idiots and I love them. Mm -hmm. And in a way, like they gave us a funner in 
having them have already hooked up, which is hilarious to me. Like, what a Jesper move. Like, I'm sorry, can we get more chaotic bisexual than, I'm sorry, I don't recognize you until my, I'm still lying on top of you in the dark. Like, oh, hello. <laughs> I called Kit out about it. He's like, he trauma blocked it out because he thought he got ghosted. And I'm like, that's very sweet, Kit, but also Jesper a hoe and that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. We don't, it's a hoe. we love hoes uh, here. Do we have a question <laughs> sorry. Uh, back here? I want to go back to uh, a topic that you brought up earlier regarding the tonality of this season and maybe also the tonality of both seasons. And I'd love to hear your perspectives and also if anybody else, uh, you know, had a different perspective. I, I think the comment was made, and it's great, that this season two felt lighter in some way than the books. And that stayed with me because to me it felt much darker and obviously everybody perceives things differently and that's why I'm asking this question. I felt that in season two in particular, but maybe also to some degree in season one, we see the Darkling so much more strikingly bad, so much more strikingly villainous to the point that in season two there were certain things like set choices and the overlay of music around him that almost felt mustache twirling <laughs> in a way where the book was more nuanced and gray yeah, and realistic, very just in my opinion. So I'm curious, in everybody's different perspective, did you, did you find that he became much darker, almost in a flat way, I, I feel like he was highly flattened in the show, in order to sort of hammer home, this is bad, you must see this as bad to the point where it became dark? Or to you, was it lighter because he was more one-dimensional and we're gonna hit you over the head, but this is bad, don't have another thought. I do have a quick thought about this. I think for me, a lot of the nuance of the Darkling's darkness came in that relationship with Lelina and the abuse. And I think to me, the abuse was the darkest. So taking that out, but yeah, so that, that was it for me. Without the abuse, I felt like that's why I felt it was lighter overall, even though they made him, you know, clearly evil. And I think that was, for me, the difference. I love the description of him being like twirling his mustachio. I want to see Ben Barnes ben do Barnes that now. Ben Barnes would. And yes, I agree. They made him a little bit less of a, they got rid of some of that nuance by giving Alina more agency. Personally, I liked it just the way it was because I have always been put off by the Darkling and Alina kind of will they won't they abusive like relationship tones i don't know if i would say that i felt this story in the show that they told and how they told it was necessarily lighter than the books but by combining books two and three of the original grisha trilogy that grisha trilogy wow those are words by combining those two books and getting rid of that whole stupid plot where they're like living in the caverns for months and Alina doesn't have any powers and it's just like, that would have never translated well to the screen. Nobody cares about the opera. He could literally, like the fact that they even brought him into the show at all is like, I know you're trying to set something up for the future, but can we just not? Like, can we just forget about him entirely? Like. You're gonna remove David from the equation, but bring this guy in oh. even after cutting out all his nonsense from books two and three. So I think that for me, yes, I felt it was lighter, I guess is the kind of end conclusion, but it was because of like Nami mentioned the removal of the longer, more detailed like abuse story between Alina and the Darkling. And also the removal of just those kind of dark subplots where Alina didn't have any powers and whatnot. But honestly, that always felt like filler to me, so. 
Yeah. Also, real quick aside, you mentioned David, and I do have a thing that I learned about David. So the reason that David died in the show, whereas he does not in the books, is because they were actually not certain that they could get the actor back because that actor is very, very busy. So the reason they left it open-ended as well is because if they can get him back, they will put him back into the show, but they wanted a way to write him out if they could not get him back. So that was... That was a choice. Right. Yeah, they had to. So I truly do agree with getting rid of the apparatus. That, that was a nightmare to be down there. Nobody wants okay? to. And then you know, I was showing my wife when they came on stage, I'm like, that guy never met... <laughs> and, and she just like, oh, like oh, it has to come up for later because we do know that there's potential later. Far as on this, when you condense that much story, you need the highs, and that's what I was talking about earlier on. Was it was so dark when you condense so much, the highs and lows become smaller. Before we had pieces where where there was strong romance, strong happiness, hope within hope that we knew was almost wasted hope because the things were so futilely. But all we did, when we lost so many of those things, all we had was the condensed, darkling, <laughs> um, I mean, God, mom, really? And I mean, I was trying to say, it actually did worse to mom than, than, but okay. This is, to me, when you lost some of those high notes, you just set a different, it's like playing music. If you lose one of the instruments, you'll, you suddenly get a different bandwidth. And that's what it felt like, was when we went to a point where it was all, the deep, dark, darkling, instead of the gray moral. Maybe, yeah. maybe I understand this person. I'm walking in there with them and we're talking about his past and I can feel the past and how it would be to be a Grisha during all these times. I can sort of sense it. We got none of that. We just got, these are the nasty things we do because we had to. We had to shove it into this little box plus bring Six of Crows over. Don't get me wrong, I love the fact that we got that because it gave me some fun stuff. But yes, I did feel, for me, it was... As I said when I first started, this is, was a darker one for me than season one, partially because I just think we got rid of some of the hope notes because we had to wedge them in there. What I got for hope was like, oh, we're, we're finally in another world and this is great. And then from there on, it disappeared. What I got from hope was more, you know, when we got into Six of Crows, when I started to get with some Waylon and some fun people, and I'm like, oh, I want these people to have, have a little relationship. This yeah. is cool. That's where my notes were. But I lost it on Mal, I lost it on Alina, I lost it on the Darkling, it was just dark. You know, I think you also bring up a really, really good point here. And I think it's a side point, but something I realized when you were pointing out how objectively darker this season was, I think in a way we're sort of desensitized to violence in fantasy media a lot. And I think this season was a really good example of that for me because the type of violence that we're desensitized to is the type of violence that the Darkling was doing a lot on screen this season. You know, like murdering people, like manipulating people, all of that. The type of um, violence that we are less desensitized to is that of relationship abuse and stuff like that. So I think the bias that I showed here by saying that this season felt lighter because it didn't have the abuse kind of shows how we've been desensitized to different types of violence and how that sort of plays out. Because, you know, objectively, you are point. correct. This season was incredibly dark. Like, he was literally out there, like, putting people in cages. You know, I think back on it now and I'm like, actually, you know, it's pretty fucked up. You didn't think that was dark, Mommy. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, that was pretty messed up, Dobby. How you doing there, bud? <laughs> Uh, it's it's an interesting point because I, I too didn't see this as a darker season, but when you go back and you start parsing it apart, it, you're right, there is a lot of violence that would be dark. 
but th sorry, the question I have is, do you think they escalated and, and condensed the Kaz and Inej's relationship too much if they're going to kind of go into the Six of Crows? I think there was a moment where they had the hallucination scene and I was like, excuse me? What? Why are they touching? Who? Who? What the touch? And I just sort of like had like a moment. I was like, oh, it was a hallucination. All right. Yeah, that's I have one word for that. Fan service. Oh, yeah. No, that's absolutely. all that was. Absolutely. I, <laughs> God, awesome. I mean, listen, here's my hope. And this is going to sound really fucked up when I say it out loud, but my hope is that they have so much trauma, we've got a lot of work to do on it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I know that uh, wasn't a very satisfying answer. <laughs> I don't know if I would call it that they condensed it necessarily. I think that, if anything, for future seasons, hopefully, if when we get them. It's gonna be the Jim and Pam, right? That will they, won't they, that gets dragged out maybe a little bit too far. Yeah. But once they're together, it's like, oh, all right. <laughs> now this, now the, the office board. is boring and I don't watch it anymore. I love their dance. I love their that dance. Light little dance that is like, you know, Got to it's go. untouchable. I mean, I'm literally one of the YAs that I'm working on has, of course, a werewolf, so I have to go into, <laughs> they can't get together because as soon as they do, he turns. So he's untouchable. I love the untouchable yeah. because it's like you want them to be together. They want to be together. Everyone wants to be together except for this element that's tearing them apart. And every time you throw back into what he's gone through, you're like, yeah, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> but you sag, okay? And I love that little tiny dance of like, but you could just reach out to her and show her this little, oh yeah. <laughs> and you remember it. It's like, I love that dance. Also, um, I want to save your arms. Wizard hat is next, then you um, with your arm up there, and then you, and then red shirt up here. I like um, how you've just okay. taken over the moderation and yeah, I don't have yeah. to do anything. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Were you waiting too? Oh my God, no, you're great. Um, I'm sorry, you could be after red shirt. I just like didn't notice that that's why you were, I, I just thought you were standing for shit and gigs. Red shirt. Oh my God, no, you're killing it. You're, you're doing great. I'm okay. so sorry. I have like really good eyes and stuff. Wizard hat? Wait, oh my god, you're a moderator. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's fine, you're doing my job for me. It's great. I'm so good at this, guys. <laughs> Zoya? Zoya, by the way? Yeah. Um, I had caffeine, and I also uh, took my uh, daily dose of uh, Gaslight Gatekeep Girl Boss. So, you know, you gotta do. <laughs> you guys brought up so many wonderful points that I wanted to bring up earlier, but one point that I simply want to touch on is I really do not like the childhood friend romance with Alina. Just, I haven't read the books, but I didn't feel there was any screen chemistry between the actors. No. I really was happy when they introduced another love interest that wasn't the Darkling, because he really is mustache twirlingly evil, and I don't like abusive love triangle things. Yeah, I also think the thing about Patrick Gibson is that he could have, um, he, he could have a romance on screen with like a brick wall. I have met him, that charisma is real. I stood next to him and Sajaya and I was just like, oh no, oh no, they're both really pretty. <laughs> what do I do now? And then they complimented my outfit and I'm like, oh God. But no, I agree. I think I think you bring, bring up a really good point. Like, I feel like us book people are like, oh, we can see the ship because we know what happens. We know what happened in the book and ta-da, it's in the book. So it's happening on screen. And I think you're right. Like they don't have as much on-screen chemistry as Lita has with Ben Barnes. But again, Ben Barnes has chemistry with a brick wall. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I also think that I doubt the show, I think it was probably written before maybe they realized the chemistry wasn't quite as much there between Alina and Mal, but the fact that as soon as he was broken from her in terms of like, he didn't have that 
magical attachment, essentially. And he decided to go off on his own and find himself versus just immediately jumping into a relationship with her because I can't remember the exact wording, obviously, but you know his, his explanation being, you've always known who you are, you've seen who you can be without me, but because we had this magical attachment, I don't know if what I'm feeling is real. for real. So I, I really liked that they gave him that little bit of extra agency um, and also it forces Alina to, it forces her to have to have her own story too. But I did like that they didn't just shove yep. them together yeah. like two chinchillas in a cage and <laughs> yeah. Echo on that, because that, that is exactly what I loved about that end piece there for we're doing the adaptation of the, the book. And it also sort of leads back to why it never felt right. Is that if the only reason I, you know, if there's some elemental within me that requires me to be in your proximity and be attracted to you, and it's not love, there's some part of me that's, of us, of everyone, that's going to notice that. That that is just a little bit off. That there's something else involved, not just a normal relationship, not just a normal attraction. So the fact that they do that ties directly into what I feel like it was actually felt. And whether that was intentional on all parts, writer through Ooh, adaptation. That's a really good point. I, we do, I don't know, but it tied in. That's mm-hmm. why I want to echo it. Yeah, it, it could actually be really fascinating to see if that was played intentionally awkwarder and intentionally with less chemistry to see that. And I would be very, very interested. I keep saying interesting. I feel like it's lost meaning. But it would be cool to see if when Mal comes back, if that romance gets retingled, if we actually do see more chemistry there because Mal now knows who he is. That was a fascinating point. I don't think I actually realized how awkward they were together until you said it out loud and I was like, oh shit, yeah. I was a show first because I just saw it on Netflix and I was like, I'll watch this. So I was season one, book one. Season two, I swore to my friend I was going to read books two and three before season two and I did not. Um, Season two, books two and three. So I kind of had like the show to go off of when I was reading the books. Um, And I know we've talked about like, um, so the Apparat storyline, I was actually, like you said, grateful that it wasn't in the show. I think it just would have taken a lot of time. But is there anything from the books, like any like little nuggets that you guys were like, I was really hoping they were going to put that in from the Shadow and Bone, because I know Mm -hmm. the Crooked Kingdom's a little weird. I'm going to be really honest. Like, once again, I do have this bias here that I haven't reread the original trilogy. I read Six of Crows, and I read the first book, and I had this moment where I was like, dang it, I don't know the lore. I need to go back and read it. And I read the original trilogy, and I have an unpopular opinion, which is that while it is very good, it is very very early 2010s, post-Twilight, I'm not like other girls era. And it just like, I was sitting there and the whole time Alina and Zoya are like, oh my God, we're like rivals because girls can't be friends. I was like, please cut out my entire eyeballs. And I just, I don't want to deal with this. And I think like, because of all of that, because of like the like Twilight era influences of those books, I just could personally never go back. So to me, I didn't have any beats like that, but that was that is truly because I read those books for um, the backstory and I read them. And also, in a way, reading those books was fantastic because then I got to see how much Leigh Bardugo grew as an author and like her nuance. And also like, holy shit, like if y'all are looking for a new favorite author after the betrayals of He Who Must Not Be Named, because I will be misgendering, JK, fuck you. Um, and uh, so, well, you know, like after... All of that, like, I think seeing an author who, like, actually grew in her storytelling and to write more nuanced stories about more diverse characters was fantastic. And I really 
can't make a succinct point, can I? No. <laughs> um, I, I, so for me, I don't know if there was necessarily like one little nugget that wasn't in the show or that I really wanted to see specifically because again, they're very, the books are good, right? Obviously, I like the books or I wouldn't have continued reading the series and then like fallen in love with her later work so much more. But I think the one thing they didn't do as well as I would have hoped was the sea whip thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And of course, I understand that a lot of it was, I'm sure, budget, right? But man, it was like 20 seconds long. They just like walked into or waded into a cave and they're like, what's that movement over there? Oh no, what's that movement over there? Sea whip's gone. Dead. Bye forever. So that was, that was probably the one thing where I was like, uh... I'm a little disappointed in this. I also, this is not quite answering your question, but, and I, I get why they do it, but the, the way they do the amplifiers and how they like go into their skin. Ooh, it, like there's <laughs> oh, something about it, it that it's just wicks me it. out. I get it. It makes more sense than like, I'm just wearing a bracelet 24 seven, but oh my gosh, like even just seeing them when they're like pull back their sleeves and, and they're about to do something and, and you can like see it embedded in their skin and it's just, ooh. I think, um, God, I'm going to go on an aside about this too. I'm so sorry. But I love that because first of all, it makes that scene where he puts a stag collar on her even more viscerally upsetting because it really echoes the, um, yep. I I don't want to say the word for anybody, but, um, it really echoes that dynamic that's happening there. And I think the other thing is that, you know, like it's kind of a narrative tool, to really drive in home the point that like, in order to gain this increase in power, they had to do murder and they had to do something viscerally upsetting and disgusting. And that remains as a part of them permanently. And I, just I hate agree. looking at it. Oh no, I hate looking at it too. It's <laughs> disgusting and gross and awful. 11 out of 10 makeup and storytelling device. I wish I never had to see it again, but I love it. So areas that I um, definitely meant is more where we're with Zoya. I know you're talking about the angst was a little bit annoying and all this, and it was. When you're first reading it, people are warning you that basically, don't worry, the angst part isn't everything Lee writes. I watched the first season, and then we own a bookstore, so I immediately just asked for all the books that Lee writes and got all of them, and read through all of them up to the ninth house and all the, all the other stuff, and love everything she does. But I wanted more, but you, you couldn't put it in there. We couldn't put as much of the of the whip in yeah. there. We couldn't get all of the times the non-camaraderie and the difficulties going on with Zoya, with Nina, with all the other the characters that we then are required to know and lean on heavily later on in the second season. We didn't have enough strength of their relationship to lean on, which we do in the books. In the books, every all the relationships are nuanced partially because of the angst mm-hmm. but that's the area that I, I miss is i want those little micro relationships with you know all the characters especially ones that are about to launch us into the next season those should be strengthened i don't feel i don't feel we've done zoya justice mm-hmm. as far as giving enough of a base that if we truly go where we might go mm-hmm. in the next season we're going to have to come back with a lot of backstory on Zoya and really get a feeling for it. Yeah, I think what we're talking about here is also a symptom of sort of what's going on with the Netflix show industry in general, in that viewers' attention spans are so, so small. And in order to capture the attention of the average viewer who doesn't care about these books, you need to like jam pack things and make your show so active so it can't be boring in any way. It can't slow down. It can't have those breadths of storytelling that you do need to make 
content as we have made historically, but I think that there is so much saturation because of the speed that things come out with right now that like in condensing it, they did that thing where they made a show that was compelling enough for non-book fans to watch and get invested in. But by doing that, they sort of gypped us book fans because, you know, we did want everything. We do want the nuance. We do want those character development and those beats of growth that are happening. But there just isn't time to do that in a show that needs to capture the person who's like, I'm sorry, the Mandalorian walked across the sand. How dare you do this? This I'm is. I'm sorry, what's the Western genre? I, <laughs> I reject it entirely. It's not fast <laughs> enough. Like, I'm sorry, what? I still remember those criticisms of the Mandalorian and I'm like do you guys have no concept of how storytelling works and I'm like if you can't even do it for Star Wars content and have people stay engaged like it sounds awful but I think the criticisms of Mandalorian season one and like its lack of speed shaped what other media has been doing because they were like oh if Star Wars can't do it we obviously can't do it and it just has continued being that way all I can hope is that in light it hopefully Netflix has a stick out of its ass and starts paying its actors and writers. But aside from that, I'm hoping that if we do get like, you know, better treatment for like these creators in general, that the speed of making things will slow down and we can get back to the old quality that we were getting as well. Cause the quality is still there, but like things have to go too fast for them to be marketable. And I'm, I'm sorry, screw marketing. The, like, the, the obsession with the bell curve. It's not yeah. to hit the bell curve. Cause there's tons of us who watch NCIS. Where it doesn't, you know, where the, the pieces, um, God, there's been so many that we've watched that are, like, rather slow. But we get involved in them and we watch exactly. four or five seasons of them. Exactly. But we're over here in the bell curve. Mm -hmm. Okay? So when it comes up to it, if you want to hit this major one, which is all they care about, like in the same as books, is are you a best-selling author? Then we'll, we'll market you. Otherwise, nah, not so interested. Everything's got to be that top of the curve and the most of it because that's the only way they squeeze out any profit. So that's our, where we're looking at is if we want to have that kind, I wish they would just make a service for us. I'm willing to go through some of these shows just to take the time and enjoy them. All right, if any of y'all are in this room or secretly rich, um, we're going to hang out. We're going to get some producers <laughs> together. We're going to make our own stuff and it's going to go slow. Hopefully, we can have like the behind the scenes. Hopefully you're not as obsessed with the eight episode season as Netflix seems to be. Okay, so just to preface, I've only read the original trilogy mm -hmm. and like one chapter each of uh, King Scars and uh, <laughs> One so chapter going each? Back to, going back to the whole Aphorat thing, I was also glad that we did not see him in the second yeah. season. I hate that character. He's so pretty. Um, <laughs> that was just great. And then we get him at the end, but also at the end of the second season, we get Nikolai's transformation into the Shadow Monster, which should have happened way earlier because mm -hmm. he was literally one of the tools that the Darkling uses against yeah. Elena and all of them. So since they ignored the, um, you know, the whole apparatus storyline with him keeping Elena captive and trying to take control of her powers, do you think that now that they brought those two elements in at the end of the second season, that they will instead substitute Nikolai for Elena with the apparatus and whatever they do for the next season? You have such a big brain. <laughs> no notes. <laughs> Either it'll be the apparat working through Nikolai to try to take over Alina's powers, or more likely, I think it seems to me with the way they're going with the apparat particularly, he wants to rule, right? And in the books is, even as he's trying to get control of Alina's powers, he's trying to control those powers because he's afraid of them. Yep. So 
him knowing Nikolai's secret and the the idea that that's what he always wanted in the first place is to maybe not necessarily be the face of the country, but he wants to control the country. Yes, <laughs> is is the is the is the TLDR I guess. <laughs> Part two. Another thing was just going back to y'all's conversation about Alina Mao. I'm one of the people that I actually feel the com uh, the chemistry between those characters, and when Mao finally you know decides or at the end when he's like, I need to make sure that these feelings that I have for you are genuine and not part of destiny or fate or whatever it is. I felt that change, like it cut through me. So I don't know, like, I know some people say they don't see the chemistry. I'm not sure what everybody else is watching. <laughs> and the moment that he said that, it's like you could sense a very visceral change between the two of them. And I was just like, I felt like best friends history. What? BFS <laughs> forever. Soulmates, like platonically. For me, I think it was that I saw Mal. Like I saw Mal having the chemistry, but not Alina. Like Alina and Jesse Malin, like her reactions and everything, and and even when she was supposed to be doing things where she was supposed to be showing how much in love she was with Mal, it always felt very deadpan almost. Um, which is like she she's so great. Like I love her. I love her as Alina. But... Oh, uh, Jesse Malin, they them. Oh, sorry, <laughs> did not know that. So like they're so great as Alina, but yeah, I felt that more. I felt the attraction and like the desire more from Mal and from Alina. I did not see that for Mal. So I, I think that's where the the break comes for me, where I I don't get the chemistry so much because it seems very one sided. And sometimes a relationship is constructed. You believe you're meant to be together. And part of you embraces that. And that seemed like a lot of what the relationship has been to me. Is there's a certain sense of we will always be together. We're childhood. We're soulmates. We're going to have this, this peace. When that is broken, when that is split apart, which I've lived through this, it becomes sort of a, you know, wait a second, what just happened? And I have to re-examine all of those aspects. And that's what I'm saying when I, you know, hearing this when we were going back through, there was a sense of this could have been something artificial, but it still creates a construct in our head. Okay, that, you know, we're forever. And then all of a sudden, someone wants a divorce and you're like, not forever? And you're like, you have to sort of go through those aspects of, of getting to the other side. Are we ever going to discuss the B at the end? <laughs> oh my! Well, I feel like that's a very dangerous, a dangerous thing to touch on. Line to touch on. But anybody who has read the books knows that B landing on Zoya is significant, and anybody who has also read the books knows that Alina's use of darkness magic is also significant. So these Easter eggs of how we're going to get more expansion into the magic of this world is really exciting. If we yeah. go there. Oh, I think we're gonna. Okay. They wouldn't give us the B if we weren't gonna. Right, that's what I was so excited about. And then I'm like, then why didn't you give me more Zoya early on? Yeah. If you're going to do all this, so, I think, I'm sorry. I'm honestly, I think they yeah, might be Yeah, be very careful here. I will finish. cut you off if I have yeah. to. <laughs> I, I think they were holding the Zoya back to finish the story that had to be finished first. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah. Which, um, I mean, so, honestly, and, and because they combined the crows with the first three books, I think it's easier for us book readers to be like, but why aren't they doing this yet? But why aren't they doing this yet? But the thing is like, they can't because they're, if they're going to tell the Alina story, they need to wrap up uh, most of that story, honestly, in order to move on to the next things. And yeah, I, I, think, I, think, I think I don't want to say too much more about this because I, I don't, the I other really thing don't is want to that 
I agree that they want to do it. And I think the fantastic thing that the, that the writer's room has proved so far is that they care enough about this content to give us that in a way that I hope will be satisfying. And I, I'm not saying that I kind of stand these writers, as the kids say, but I do a little bit. I truly, like, whatever they come up with next, I believe that they're going to do it justice. Like, it might not be perfect or what I had wanted it to happen, but I think they're going to tell a good story that is still true to what the books were. It's going to be, like, professional, high-quality fan fiction, not derogatory. I adore fan fiction. This is a highest compliment. Like, it's going to be what the fans want and what they didn't realize they needed, in a way, because yeah. I think that was what we also got with this season in a lot of ways that I didn't realize. Like, I desperately had wanted, like, Mal and Nikolai to have a relationship and Mal to passed the Beshel test equivalent effectively. And like he did, and like they have this bit, this relationship with him and Nikolai, and Nikolai isn't just like, ah, oh, peasant, bye. <laughs> like he was in the books, which was exciting. We get Alina at the end with her like turn to darkness, and we get like this fascinating aspect of what could have happened with Alina if she had not been forced to give up her powers. And I think there is so much excitement and interest there for a really great story that can also parallel Zoya's story in terms of what we do when we are given extreme power and the choices that we make with that extreme power and how some people like having a lot of power and some people do not like having a lot of power and how those people deal with that. So I have a lot of like really exciting like thoughts in my head about like why the Alina storyline that they're going on could be really fascinating. And if you guys are interested, Nami Sparrow, message me on something. I will, like, literally talk your ear <laughs> off about this forever. Um, you mentioned Nikolai Amel. Yes. And the book's different. Yes. I disagree. Um, there's a certain aspect to Nikolai, which he is, what I loved, is the tormenting of Mal. <laughs> Knowing that every time, every time approaching Alina, just made Mal more pissed off and forgetting Mal's name, doing all the things that he did to Mal was a constant way of just like, I totally know you exist, I totally know you're there, and I totally know the relationship we have, and I'm just gonna fuck with you. So it wasn't just a like peasant because he doesn't do that with his oh, soldiers. Oh yeah, no. This was very specific on Mal. I'm going to get thing, and then eventually it warmed off to, okay, we've, we've played off enough that we actually have our relationship even though it's the, I think we the, don't get the relationship play it's payoff in the book though because in the book you get a lot of the torment and like two seconds of that relationship and okay. I think that's what did it for me they did more in this in the adaptation exactly. I, I'll give you that and but, I think there, there was something more than just I'm the royal snob yeah it was more and I think for I, me I, I like fucking with you Yes, yes, he's very petty in the exactly. books. And I think Nikolai's character, they adapted him really well. Because yes. if you read book Nikolai, he's actually annoying as fuck. No, I love and it annoying. No, it's great, but it doesn't, it wouldn't play on screen. And it also doesn't I'm really, making. I don't think it's really his character either. Because it's like, he's he's annoying at first. But again, I, it, I think it's like that pettiness. And it also seems out of, it seems so out of character. And mm. yes, they have that a little bit of that teasing in the show, in season two between him and Mal. But... It's a little bit. It's like the, yeah, the joke I, of I don't know your name. Um, and, and they do very quickly have 
a more, if not, you know, they're not going to be BFFs, but they do have like a positive yeah. relationship. I also think there was a deliberate choice, or I hope there was a deliberate choice to not play that on screen in the series with the optics of Mal being played by a person of color and Nikolai being the rich white man. And I think it was a very um, deliberate and yeah. well thought out decision to not have the rich prince degrade the brown peasant and i think it was a good decision because that could have very quickly gotten very gross and uncomfortable. Yes, very uncomfortable we still have a question from you had your hand up forever ago oh, uh, you've, well, you've been you've, you've been in the wings no, the answers are too long way past this now. oh redhead too oh, i'm sorry oh sorry <laughs> oh, oh that's okay you mentioned that how we were desensitized to violence now and that made me have to shout out my favorite sequence when the Grisha posse the, uh, were advancing on the fort. Yeah. Uh, Wyland pulls out the pocket sand and uh, makes that guy hallucinate and then boom, axe to the head. <laughs> Immediately after that, the main bad lady tries to do her bending and she doesn't have any fingers. And then Nikolai walks up and shoots her in the throat. And I thought that shit was so hilarious. <laughs> yes. And I, my wife was like, why are you laughing so hard? <laughs> and I had to like rewind the sequence. And I, I'm like, actually, this, this might be a problem. <laughs> no, I, how, I, how they convey, how, you know, how they convey yeah. like what is good and what is bad yeah. as far as darkness. And but that was a fun scene. <laughs> oh no, it was so great. I was cheering. I laughed at the axe as well. I, you're so right. Uh, <laughs> Redhead? Hi. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. You guys all have all great good. names. I We had been having a, a conversation about how dark the second one had, had been. And I had also watched the, the first series before I ever touched the books. And I've only read the original. And so my I definitely had the, the vibe of this was the Empire Strikes Back of, mm -hmm. of the series, watching the, the show, right, where it turned really dark. There was more that I was going to say, but it has disappeared by this yeah. time, and I'm sure there's something more relevant. <laughs> yeah, I will say the cool thing is that with the darkness that they had happen with the dark lady, ha 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 ha, um, they actually made some very specific costuming choices for all of the um, Grisha that were following him to have kept, kept us in darker hues. I don't know. I'm a costuming nerd, if you can't tell. It was really fascinating. It was really cool stuff. I love the costumer for this show, except for Lena's final dress, but at least, <laughs> listen, it was a point of view and I can't be mad at that. At least it was bad and not boring. <laughs> Wizard hat again. Like I said before, I've only seen the show, but I had very low to no interest about reading the books before I came to this panel and all of your excitement and all the possibilities and the bee stuff. I'm very interested about the bees. <laughs> it do be pretty cool. <laughs> So I probably will check out the books more uh, because of this panel. And when you meet, oh, when you meet oh, Lynn, thank you. When you meet her, let her know where you got the, the prompts from. <laughs> <laughs> so we have to wrap up. We are at the end of our hour. Thank you guys for coming. Um, again, we were talking a little bit earlier about how much Lee Bardugo grew as an author. And one of the things that came out of the first season of our podcast was hashtag we love growth in this house. And just because you just said you, this panel has made you want to read the books, like you'll know what we mean about mm -hmm. how much she grew as an author and how the show actually has taken what she learned in her years of you know writing all of these books and growing from the first trilogy through the second duology. Um, the show took that growth and put it on screen for all of us, which I think is probably the best part of She, she of did the diversity retcon that certain authors who shall not be named have attempted to do in the past, but then decided they would never canonically 
actually portray in their official media. And she did that diversity retcon and said, no, it is real now. No, this is what we're doing officially. We are going to hire the diverse voices. We're going to do the work. And I don't know. I just want to put Lee Bardugo in my pocket and keep her safe. All right. Uh, Don't forget to make your Dragon Con charity donations. You also should rate this panel in the app if you liked it. If you didn't like it, the app doesn't exist. It's a lie. It's a lie made up by, I don't know, triples in the air ducts or something. Thank you guys for coming so much. Have a great rest of your day. You guys are great. Please message me and talk to me about Grease Reverse all the time. I will definitely reply eventually. Thank you for listening to the Geek Saga podcast. If you like what you heard, please check out other Geek Saga entertainment endeavors, including the Sagas and Sass webcast and podcast and Ice and Fire Con.